Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. You know, it's funny that Tom talked about that, the political system stuff that was rolling around inside of me. Of, you know, I'm not, I'm not against laws that protect other people's lives that are that need laws to protect them. You know, there's, there's, there's laws that are great. They protect life. And, but a lot of the things that we want to legislate are morality issues. And if, if the church would really live the way that we're called to live, people would want what we have. We wouldn't have to create a law to make them want it. And, and, and you can't change someone's heart by a law. And so in a, in a sense, a lot of times we want freedom in our own lives and in the lives that we live with God, but we want legalism for everybody else. Because we say, well, we don't trust that you'll make a good enough decision or you'll make the decision that we believe is right, or even the decision the Bible says is right on your own. And what we're saying is we have no hope that we as a people of God can actually influence you to want to do what God would have you to do. So we want to make a law so that you have to do it. And that doesn't really go over really well when we talk about our own lives and our own relationships with the Lord, but yet we sometimes are caught up in wanting that for the world. And I think that if, if we really did, now there will always be people who would reject. Listen, people say, well, if, they just, if people met Jesus, the real Jesus, the church looked like Jesus, everybody would want him. That is not true. It's not. Because people met the real Jesus in the flesh and did not want him. They killed him. They rejected him. And he said, listen, if the world rejects you, it's because they've hated me first. If the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. In other words, you can look just like me, and the world that hated me will hate you. But if we would live out what God's called us to live out, we would actually walk led by the Spirit. There would be a whole lot more people that would want Jesus. And there'd be a whole lot of people that actually would want to live the way that Christ called us to live because they would see the fruit in our lives. Um, So anyways, today we are going to be... um, I talked about a a couple weeks ago before Dan was here that we were going to start talking about spiritual gifts. And and so today I want to talk about something that has to do with that, that kind of gets in the way sometimes of people believing uh, spiritual gifts, because I don't know if any of you guys have noticed, but there's a slight bit of disagreement in the church over spiritual gifts today. It's just a scotch. Yeah, just just a little. Um, and and the, uh, So I want to talk just head on about a couple of the, the reasons that I've heard that people have used for saying that they're not for today. Uh, because there are whole groups of our, of our brothers and sisters who believe that spiritual gifts passed away with the apostles or with the disciples or when the Bible came or, you know, it's kind of, there's this timeline and everybody kind of has their spot on the timeline and say it was then. Um, and they passed away and, and they're not necessary anymore because the church is doing such an awesome job of being who Jesus was that we no longer need the things that he needed to be who he was. I just honestly, like, and I don't mean this condemningly or harshly, and I don't mean this snarky or sarcastically, but I think it is really, really arrogant of us to believe that we can do a better job of presenting Christ to the world without the things that Christ used to present His Father to the world than He could. I I, I just, I'm scared to say that. 
that I've found such... It's like the people that say, you know, well, I don't, I don't have to preach the Gospel with words. I just let my actions speak. You sure you're not afraid to speak up? Because Christ used a lot of words to preach the Gospel. And He probably did a better job of letting His actions preach the Gospel than I've done. And yet He found it necessary to use words. Just be careful you don't get caught up in a cop-out for not wanting to speak up by saying, well, I just let my life speak. Jesus' life spoke pretty loud, but so did His mouth. And if He needed them, chances are you probably will too. Just a thought. So, uh, open your Bibles if you have them to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Is there anybody here very first time coming to church today? Raise your hands up. I promise nothing weird. Yeah, Cool. Thank you guys so much for coming. Yeah, we're glad you're here. We really are. Um, thank you for coming. We, uh, we're a, a family of believers that just really love God, love Jesus, uh, and, and want to live the life that he died for us to live. We don't want to settle for anything less than fullness. If there's something available to us, if there's something more than what we've experienced, we want it because we want everything that he died for. Everything. And, 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 and an eternal destination of, of heaven one day and salvation from our sins and, and all that stuff is amazing and it's awesome, but we don't want to just say a prayer and then go back to life and then one day be with him if we could be with him now, if we could experience him now. So, um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, this is one of Paul's letters to the church at Corinth. I don't believe it's the first because in this letter he references a different letter. But it's the first one we have record of, so we call it 1 Corinthians. Um, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we can open up Your Word and and hear You speak today. And Holy Spirit, I ask that as I speak today, You speak through me. That there would be words from the heart of the Father straight to my mouth. And that You would open our ears to hear in our minds to understand that we have the mind of Christ, that we can comprehend the things that You're saying, God, and and that our hearts would be good soil, that the seed of Your Word would go deep into our hearts, and that that it would produce fruit in our lives, God, that a world that that does not even know that You exist or even says that You don't would taste the fruit of our lives and know that You're good. And I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's the truth that the people taste the fruit of your life, they see His goodness. That that's the purpose of the fruit hanging on your tree is that the world around him, around you would actually eat of the fruit of your life. They would taste the patience and the gentleness and the meekness and the kindness that you walk in. They would see the joy that you walk in and that they would taste the fruit of your life. And that, that when they ask you, what, you know, when, have you ever been in a situation where everybody's freaking out and you're not? You stand out. 
Like you stand out in the crowd and people actually will come to you and ask you, hey, how come you're not worried? How come you never seem afraid? How come you're not freaking out like everybody else? And it's such an amazing opportunity. Why? Because they're eating the fruit of your life that the Holy Spirit's producing in your life. They're eating of that fruit. And they're wondering, where does this fruit come from? Because it tastes better than the fruit that I'm eating. Because right now I've got a mouthful of fear. But you've got peace hanging from your tree. And it tastes really, really good. And then you have an, uh, then evangelism's easy, because then it's simply pointing to the one who makes the way that you live possible. You're not trying to shove something down somebody's throat. They're trying to shove it down their throat, and you're just telling them what it is they're shoving down their throat. Oh, that fruit that you're eating, by the way, that you're enjoying, that juice that's running down your chin, that joy, that happiness, that peace that you that you're experiencing. That's actually because of my Father. And you can have that too. And you don't have to come pick off my tree. You can actually have the Spirit of God live inside of you and He'll produce fruit in you and you'll be a good tree and you'll produce good fruit. It's easy then. If we walk around with bitterness and anger and everything else hanging off of our tree that looks like every other tree that's not a good tree, that hasn't been made a good tree, it's pretty hard to get the world to buy what we're selling. It's pretty hard to get them to want to say a prayer one day to be like me when my life looks worse than theirs to begin with. When I'm freaking out worse than they are, they don't want to hear about the Prince of Peace that I know because they've seen the lack of Him in my life. You think about it. We're supposed to be set apart. That's what holiness is. It's actually set apart. We look different. We're called a peculiar people. If our lives aren't different, there's nothing peculiar about us. Jesus said that if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. If there's nothing in my life that the world hates, if I never encounter any resistance, I might look so much like the world that a world that hates Jesus doesn't hate me because I look nothing like Him. And sometimes we get so worried about what people think of us. And Jesus said, listen, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for this is how their fathers treated the false prophets of old. What was He saying? He's saying, listen, don't freak out when people are talking badly about you. Because they're seeing something in your life that challenges them or that convicts them or there's something in your life makes them uncomfortable and they're trying to find a reason to discredit you and slander you just like they did me. Because Jesus' life was such a conviction to people that they had to try to find a reason to discredit Him because they couldn't discredit His life. They looked for every reason they could. That's why they brought the woman caught in adultery and threw her at her feet and said, should we stone her? They wanted Him to do something that would discredit the witness of His life. They were constantly trying to get him to do it. That's why they were trying to make him out to be a blasphemer. That's why they were trying to bring charges against him. Oh, he says he's the king of the Jews. Oh, he says that he's equal with God. All these different things. Why? Because they couldn't discredit his life. And when people can't discredit your life because you actually look like what you say, they'll try to find a reason to discredit you. And they'll slander you. They'll speak badly of you. And listen, Jesus said, don't be worried when that happens. Be worried if that doesn't happen. Yeah. Woe to you, not when people speak badly of you. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For this is how their fathers treated the false prophets of old. What's he saying? He's saying the only way that you can get everyone to speak well of you is if you tell them what they want to hear, not what the truth is. Because that's what the false prophets did. They said, peace, peace, when there was no peace. 
And he's saying, listen to me, you want everyone to speak well of you? Here's one way to do it. Speak to them falsely and tell them what they want to hear and don't tell them the truth that makes them uncomfortable. And then everyone will speak well of you. And when that day comes, woe to you. So it's not like we go around being a jerk to try to get people to say things badly about us. Like, don't go around purposely trying to offend people so that you can be like, yes, I'm just like Jesus. But when it does come, you can actually take joy in that and say, thank you, Father, that if the world hates you, they hate me too because I look so much like you that a world that hates you actually doesn't like me either because I look like the one whose image I'm created in. And you can find joy in that. You can actually rejoice in the middle of it. I'm preaching better than you guys are, are, are hearing. I'm telling you. It's from him. It's not from me. That's not prideful. I'm just saying, like, are y'all awake this morning? Yeah. Goodness gracious. All right. Now, it's too late now. The next thing I say, don't everybody cheer. Good thing I came encouraged. If I was a needy cup, I'd be running around empty right now trying to say something that would make everyone agree. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, he starts out talking about love never fails, and then he comes to this part, and this is something that gets used all the time. He says, well, even the Bible says that tongues and prophecy are going to end, and, and, which it does. It does say that very, very clearly. It says that if there are tongues, they will end. If there's prophecy, it will end. It also says if there were knowledge, if there's knowledge, it will be done away. It says, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. So people have taken this when the perfect comes to mean, well, what Paul was saying was that during the time that he was writing this letter, they just had bits and pieces of the Bible, and that one day the whole Bible would come, that would be the perfect one. The perfect one in, in, in the people that believe this way is the Word of God. And once the Bible came, then there would be no need for tongues, there would be no need for, uh, for bio, uh, um, prophecy, and that, that wisdom itself, would, or knowledge itself, would actually be done away. Because right now we know in part, and we prophesy in part, and, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. And so, that's where it ended. There's a, f- a few things about that. I, I, and the reason I'm saying this is because I, 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 some of the stuff we've taught before, but I don't know where everyone's at, and I don't want this echoing in the back of your head as we start to talk about spiritual gifts. So I want to deal with this stuff right up front, because people will be like, yeah, but what about what the Bible says about it ending? Or people hear it and they say, yeah, but that stuff's all passed away. Well, when Paul is writing here in in, uh, verse 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been known. And so if this is about the Bible, it's a little hard to, to make that case because Paul says, then I will know fully just as I've been known. And the Bible as we know it, fully canonized, done, put together, and distributed to people, actually wasn't around during Paul's time. So there's no chance that that he could. If anybody said, then you will know as you've fully been known, and that would have been okay. But he says, then I will know even fully, even as I've been fully known. He's talking about something that he's going to experience. The coming of the perfect one is something that Paul is talking about. Him, he will experience. And most historians believe that Paul thought the return of Christ was going to be very, very soon. It's why he said it's better not to get married because then you can just give your life to the Lord. Because he honestly thought that Jesus was returning. Well, he really is returning any day. Paul just didn't know that any day wasn't going to be in his lifetime. It's like all of us that believe he's returning soon. 
and we may die saying he's returning soon, which is the truth because a day is to a thousand years, a thousand years is to a day. And we should live our lives as if tomorrow's the, the, as if today's the last day that we have because the Bible says we're not guaranteed tomorrow. So if there's important things in your life that you're putting off for one day, maybe make one day today and stop putting them off for someday because someday may never come. Okay, and, and I promise you, you don't want to die with a bunch of regrets. You don't want to die. You don't want to come to the end of your life talking about one day I'm going to, someday I will. Even if it's just abandoning everything and going after him. You know, those things that just kind of entangle you, those things that kind of hold you back, the little foxes like Dan was talking about. If there's things like that going on in your life and you think, you know, someday I'll just totally sell out. Someday I'll just get free from this fear of man. Someday I'll just step out. Make that today. Just say, you know what, God, like, I don't know if I'm even going to be here tomorrow. So I'm going to do everything I can today to live the life that I want to live. Everything that I can. And not put off for tomorrow what the things that I could do today. And so Paul is talking about this and he says, when the perfect comes, I'll know him even as I've been fully known. Well, if he's talking about the Bible, that statement there can't be true because the actual Bible, the way we know it, the first time it was listed, the way that we know it was in 367 AD. That's 367 years after Christ. That was the first time that the Bible was actually listed and that they put all the books together the way we know them. And it wasn't even totally settled within Christendom until the 1500s with the Council of Trent. So if when the Bible came, the gifts were supposed to stop, it's a little fuzzy as to exactly when it should have stopped, if that's what he was talking about, for one. For two, there's no chance that Paul could have experienced that. But there is truth to this, and this is what I believe Paul's talking about, and I'll prove it in a bunch of different ways in a second. But I believe G- what Paul was saying was this. Listen, right now we prophesy in part, and we, we know in part, but there's a day coming when Jesus comes and Jesus returns, when the perfect one comes, that we'll know everything. And we'll know Him fully, even as we've fully been known. Right now we know in part. Anybody ready to say that because they have the Bible, they know in full? But that day then, I will fully know Him. What's he saying? When He returns and I look face to face, like Tom was just talking about, when that day comes, that I actually see Him face to face. Not looking in a mirror. It says he who looks in the Word is like a man who looks in the mirror. That's another way we know he's not talking about the return of, of I mean, he's talking, talking about the Bible because the Bible itself looking into the Word is called a mirror in the book of James. It says when we look into the Word, it's like a man who looks in the mirror and, and forgets what he looks like when we walk away from it if we don't do what it says. But not looking into a mirror, we're going to actually see him face to face and we'll know him as he's, and, and, and we'll know him fully, even as we've been fully known. Okay, so I think what Paul was saying was basically, listen, there's gifts of prophecy, there's tongues, they'll do away. There's knowledge, it'll be done away. Why would knowledge be done away when we actually see him? There will be no more questions when you're looking into the face of Jesus. The search for knowledge will end. I promise you. I know this message isn't what everybody wants to hear, but it's the truth. It's right there in the Word. And ignoring it and acting like it's not there doesn't make it go away. It just makes us ignorant of spiritual things, which is how the chapter right before starts, when he starts talking about spiritual gifts. And so, I promise, just, just stay with me, because there's so many different ways than just those, those that it, we know that for sure. Um, But here's, here's another way that we know. This is just a simple little way. It says knowledge will, will be done away. 
For now we know in part, but then we'll know fully. There's actually one thing that's not contained within the Bible that keeps knowledge from being full, even with having the Bible. Anybody know what that is? It's the day that Christ returns. The very thing He's talking about. Because Jesus said in the book of Matthew, He said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. So the only time that it could be possible that knowledge would be complete, that we, that, that, that we could fully know everything, would be when the last thing that's not even known by Jesus at the time of Him saying this is revealed. And when is that? When He comes. Because of that day and of that hour, nobody knows. So if the Bible coming made knowledge complete, yet the Bible, according to Jesus, is lacking the knowledge of when He returns, then knowledge can't be complete until He returns. It's the truth, right? Because it's in the Word. It's in your Bible. Like You can't get away from that. It either is true or it's not. And so if Jesus Himself said that knowledge of, of Him returning is not known by anybody, then that means that even the Bible coming makes knowledge not complete because it's still lacking the one thing that Paul's talking about right here that brings completeness, and that is what? The return of the perfect one. The coming of the perfect one. The return of Jesus. Um, and so then if we read on a little bit and we use all Scripture together, it starts getting even clearer. It says, now, but now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest is love. You ever wonder why in the middle of him talking about the end of gifts and the coming of the perfect one, the return of Jesus, he slides that line in there? I, it, to me, it didn't make sense when I first would read through this. Like He's talking about gifts and prophecies and tongues and knowledge and all this stuff. And he says, but, but now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And it just seems odd until we actually realize this is him actually talking to us and proving more to us and letting us know what he's talking about. Hebrews uh, 11, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When will we no longer need faith? When do you no longer need faith for anything? Like, like, if you have faith that it was going to rain this morning, when you woke up this morning and saw that it was raining, do you need faith anymore? No. Why don't you need faith? Because you see. Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You're no longer hoping for rain. It's raining. And it's the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. When you see, you no longer need faith. Faith is me believing something that I have not seen. Once I see, I no longer need faith. So if he, what he's saying is, listen, right now we have faith that there is going to be the return of Jesus, but when we see Him, we'll no longer need faith. And then he says hope. When is hope no longer necessary? Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 24. For in hope we have been saved... But hope that is, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what, he is already, for what he already sees? When will we no longer need hope? When the perfect one comes. Why? Because we see Him. Faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest is love. Why is love greater than faith and hope? What's the one that will be left when we're looking at Him face to face when the perfect one comes? What's the one thing that's never going to end? What's the one thing that will always be? What's the one thing we have on earth that we will have in heaven for eternity? Love. Why is it greater than faith and hope? Because when the perfect one comes, those two will pass away, but love will remain forever. 
Come on, it's, it's not complicated. It's really not. We just have to take the whole counsel of Scripture. Not grab a verse because it's convenient and it justifies our theology. Listen, we got to be real careful that we don't pick and pluck verses and ignore the majority of Scripture just so we can justify something. Because we haven't experienced something. Listen, the disciples did this very same thing. It's recorded in the book of Mark. They try to cast a demon out of a young boy. They can't do it. Jesus comes down off the hill, casts the demon out. Their question to Him is, why couldn't we? A little bit later, in the same chapter, the very next thing that happens... Jesus, we saw some people casting demons out using Your name, but they weren't of us, so we told them to stop. What were they saying? Jesus, they were doing something that You told us we could do that we didn't experience, and we told other people they couldn't experience it either. Well, well, I've never prophesied, so You can't either. I've never spoken tongues, so You can't either. I've never seen the sick healed when I prayed for them, so you can't either. What happens? We start defending our experience at the expense of His Word rather than letting our experience be judged by His Word and allowing our experience to have hope for change. Because we don't want to have to ask ourselves the uncomfortable question that the disciples had no problem asking Jesus. Why couldn't we? They didn't build a theology. They didn't say, oh, well, those gifts must have passed away. Jesus only gave that to us for a little while, and then when we came back and we were with Him, we no longer needed that gift. They didn't build a comfortable theology and say that's no longer necessary because there were still people filled with demons. It's a good thing there's no longer people filled with demons now that the Bible's been printed. It's a good thing that the sick are no longer around needing healing. That God doesn't want to speak through His people to people. Come on. But this is what the disciples did. And if we're not careful, we'll do it too. The disciples said, we had a lack of that in our life, so we told others they couldn't either. And I believe this is how this happened. I believe that there was a lack of the power of God on display in some priests in somewhere's life. And this theology that came into the disciples' minds so easily popped into that priest or that, that pastor or that whatever his title was, mine, of the people are asking questions about why we don't see this stuff and I have to have an answer. Because you know what? When you're a pastor, you feel this pressure like you're supposed to know in full and have an answer for everything. I'd say the most freeing thing in your life is to be able to say three words, I don't know. We're talking about God. And you feel ashamed because you don't have an answer for everything? Never ever feel like you have to give an explanation or an answer for something God hasn't revealed to you. Just look at them and say, I don't know. But here's what you can't do. You can't let what you don't know trump what He actually spoke. You can't let what you don't understand trump what is so clearly written. You can't let what you don't know get in the way of saying, I don't know, but I want to find out and I'll ask myself the uncomfortable questions if I have to because I value truth more than me being right. Anytime you settle somewhere because of discouragement, you're settling for less than fullness. 
And the temptation will be there every single time that you don't experience something to settle and make a theology that makes you comfortable where you are. And so you're down in that pit and you've tried to climb out a few times and you've fallen back into the pit and along comes somebody and all you want is a pillow to be comfortable where you are rather than a ladder or a rope to climb out to where you are. Truth is a rope that won't let you stay in the pit. The world does not need us to make ourselves comfortable where we are. We actually need to be uncomfortable like the disciples. It was eating at them. And I'm not saying that we can't have joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit in our lives while we're on this journey. But I am saying that we can't settle and just say, well, I guess that's not, or I guess that doesn't mean, or maybe He didn't mean, or any of the things that are so clearly written out in the Word to give ourselves an excuse to remain comfortable where we are rather than growing up into all things Him into maturing into all things. And if we're not careful, discouragement will be the thing that makes our theology even more than the Word of God itself. Because there's a lot of discouraged Christians that allow that to shape what they believe. I've been, how many of you have been tempted to do it? Be honest. Oh man. Well, you guys are holy. <laughs> that was only like a third of us. I've been tempted. I've been tempted to say, well, maybe that stuff isn't for today. Because it was easier when I just believed that if it happened, it was you know, God's will, and if it didn't, then there, it was God's will that it didn't. That's the easiest theology there is. The problem with that is there's no personal responsibility, and it removes so much of what the Bible talks about. It removes every bit of authority from our lives, and it places it all into His hands, which He has all authority, and then He gave authority to us. And so, the other thing that, that comes up a lot when we start talking about these things. Do you guys get that? About why faith, hope, and love? Isn't that amazing? When I saw that in the Word, I was like, this is awesome. This is so awesome. Because that verse just seems popped in the middle of there as if it doesn't really go wrong with the rest of it. But you realize, no, He's actually telling us even further. Because who's love? God. God is love. So you're not going to need faith and you're not going to need hope when you see Him. You need faith and hope when you have the Word. Why? Because faith is the evidence of things hoped for, or the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I have the Bible, I open it up, I see the Bible, yet I still need faith. But when I see Him, when I'm standing face to face with Him, when the perfect one comes, I'll no longer hope for anything because I'll have what I hoped for. It would be really silly if it was the Bible and yet we're told in the Bible to keep hope when we have the thing that we're hoping for. It'd be like me getting up this morning, looking out the window and being like, oh God, I just hope it rains. Oh Lord, I have such faith right now that You will send rain. Like That would be silly because it's raining. When you see Him, you're not going to be like, I just have faith that one day He's going to return riding on the clouds with a sword in His mouth and my name's written on His palm and faithful and true is written on His thigh and the judgment of the land, His just judgment, His righteous judgment will be upon the land and I'll be just like Him and I'll be with Him forever and we'll rule and reign. You're not going to stand there hoping and having faith for that when you're actually seeing the one whom the hope and faith is put in. Those things will pass away and all you'll have left all you'll have left, all we'll have left is love. That'll be it. So now the other thing from that, that we run into that's a bit of a landmine when we talk about spiritual gifts a lot of times is, you guys want to hear my version? 
of that verse. I don't do this a whole lot, right? Like, but this is my translation. This is the, the Roy's English. Love never fails. It never ends. Prophecy, tongues, they will. Knowledge will end in completion. We know some and can prophesy some now, but when Jesus comes, all that will be done away with. We'll have no more use for it. Just like a man has no more use for childish things because they're no longer necessary. Right now, we see in a mirror somewhat, but when he returns, we'll see him face to face, crystal clear. We will know him as intimately as he already knows us. Faith, hope, and love, these things are the most amazing things in the world. They please God and they save us, but even these things are going to pass away. Everything will pass away except love when the perfect comes. So spring forward a little bit in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to deal with one other thing. Because I think this is a stumbling block um, that comes. Because I think the first thing the enemy tries to do is say that those things are no longer necessary, they're no longer for today, and that stuff passed away with the disciples, which is so easy to see that it didn't. Because Paul's writing this letter to the church at Corinth who were not a bunch of apostles, not a bunch of disciples, and he says, for each of you has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, so that right there should destroy all of that theology anyways. The fact that he's writing a, book, a, a letter to a church about about prophecy and about tongues and miracles and healing and all that stuff to a bunch of people who are just a church, not disciples, not apostles. If all that was just for the apostles and disciples, it's absolutely foolish for Paul to waste his time writing to a bunch of people that aren't apostles and disciples and instructing them about spiritual gifts. That stuff, honestly, that argument of, well, that was just for them, that's so easy. Just read your Bible. That's, I'm not even going to spend a lot of time talking about that one. But then I think this one is the second stumbling block because then when, sometimes when, when we come into an understanding that you know, the spiritual gifts are for today and we start thinking about them and, and you know, there's a curiosity there. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So Paul says, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And here's the problem with that we run into a lot of times. You'll hear people say, and many of you have probably heard it say it, and maybe some of you us have even said it. Well, if God wants me to have them, I will, because in verse 12, he says that God gives gifts to each of us as he wills. The Spirit gives to each of us as he wills. Here's the problem with that thinking. What if the will of God is to give gifts to those who are obedient to the Word and actually earnestly desire them? What if His will and desire actually has something to do with our desire for what He asked us to desire? We, we believe it about other things. Maybe we should believe that about spiritual giftings as well. Because here's something that James wrote. James 1, chapter 1 verse 5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James says, listen, if you want wisdom, ask, of, ask God for it. If you lack wisdom and it's something that you need, ask God for it, and he'll give it to you. He, he loves to give wisdom to people. But when you ask, you have to actually believe that He wants to give it to you. Otherwise, you'll receive nothing. So what is it? That God's will is to give it? Or that His will isn't to give it? Because right there He says, that man should expect to receive nothing of the Lord. Wait a minute, I thought the Lord wanted to give wisdom. Liberally. 
Without reproach. In other words, without, without anything added to it that would make it a, a hindrance or that would make it a stumbling block. He wants to give wisdom to those who ask. Why is he saying that there's a man who should expect to receive nothing from the Lord? Because he says, when you ask, you must believe that he wants to give it. What if spiritual gifts are the same way? What if earnestly desiring them is the thing that makes the Spirit of God willing to give? What if those two verses don't contradict each other? They actually work together in perfect harmony. And that us earnestly desiring spiritual gifts makes us a target for the will of God to give them to us. I have a bunch of Greek words I was going to read to you guys, but I don't think we need to. So, I'm just going to close up with this. What if we don't have a will of God problem, but we have a hunger problem? What if He's not in heaven unwilling to give? We're on earth not hungry for the things He wants to give. What if casually saying a prayer that says, like, God, if, that's what, if you want me to have it, then I'll take it, has nothing to do with earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, and especially prophecy? What if a casual prayer of, well, God, I mean, I guess they are for today, so if you want me to have them, it says your word says that as you will. James said if you prayed like that for wisdom, you would receive nothing. James said, if you went to God and said, God, I mean, you know, I know that you have all wisdom, and I guess if you want to give it to me, I'll take it. Because that's what our prayers sometimes sound like about spiritual gifts. It's like, well, you know, I mean, my life's good without it. And I mean, I'm not saying I don't need it. I'm just saying that, like, I know I'm okay if I don't have it. And if God wants me to have it, I will. What if, what if you prayed like that for wisdom? According to James, you should expect to receive nothing. What if... He has the same principle with gifts as He does with wisdom. And that His will to give is directly tied to our earnest desire. So what if it's not a will problem? What if it's a hunger thing? What if it's a desire problem? What if God's in heaven with gifts that He wants to give to His children desperately? And yet when he looks down, there's just so very few that are actually hungry for them, that earnestly desire them. That listen to the Word when it talks about how we're saved. That listen to the Word when it talks about what heaven will be like. That listen to the Word about all those things. But when it comes to something that says very clearly, it's a command from an apostle, and all Scripture is breathed by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit through Paul gave us a command. Earnestly, pursue love. In other words, what? Don't ever, ever, ever go after spiritual giftings apart from love. Why? Because a gift apart from love is nothing but harmful to people and it's annoyance to their ears. Because if you have a gift apart from love, you'll use it for your own selfish reasons to build your own kingdom and you won't use it to build His. So don't leave love behind in the pursuit of gifts. So earn, pursue love. 
but in your pursuit of love. Why in your pursuit of love? Because loving people is a whole lot easier when God actually gives you a gift that makes it possible. Because when I see somebody on the street, listen, there was a time I was, uh, uh, I tell the story a lot because it's, it, to me it's just so clear um, and the fruit was so evident to so many people. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in your personal life that's just one-on-one with you and a person. And, but this one happened in front of a room full of people. I was doing a funeral and I was preparing to do the funeral and I, t- and I, and I saw, I had a word of knowledge, like Jesus said, I saw you under the tree to Nicodemus. I saw the funeral and I saw me preach the gospel and I saw me give an invitation for someone to respond and I saw a young girl about 17 or 18 years old all the way in the back dressed in a black dress down to her knees walk up front and receive the Lord in the middle of me preparing for that 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 funeral I looked at Patty she was sitting in the kitchen and I said I'm supposed to give an invitation for people to respond to the gospel tomorrow and there's going to be one girl that's going to and she's going to be about 17 or 18 years old she'll be all the way in the back on the left hand side and she'll be wearing a black dress down to her knees and I know it because God just showed me so the funeral day comes, and in front of a room full, I mean, it was a packed room full of people, right? And I'm just preaching the gospel. Because when you've got people that can't leave, preach the gospel. I'm serious. Like, like do whatever else you're going to do, but preach the gospel. If they get one thing from you, make sure it's the gospel. And then you can do whatever else you want to do, but man, preach the gospel. So I'm just preaching the gospel, you know, and... And uh, the time comes, and I feel like I'm supposed to give this invitation. And so I just said, if there's someone here, not because of an emotional thing, not because we're at a funeral, but you know when I'm speaking right now that you want that, and you want to respond right now and give your life to Him and become a new creation in Christ. If you'd come up here right now, I'd love to pray with you. Nothing. Crickets. Everybody's just kind of looking at their hands. I'm looking at mine. But I know what He showed me. As clearly as Jesus saw Nicodemus sitting underneath that fig tree, I saw that young girl stand up and walk forward. So I just stood there and waited for a second. I said, I know you're here. And I would just love to have the opportunity to pray with you. Back left row of the room. Boom. 17-year-old girl. Dark hair. Wearing a black dress down to her knees. Comes practically running down the aisle to give her life to the Lord. And to become a new creation. If we think we don't need gifts now as much as they needed them back then, we're in a time, honestly, where people are so bent on I won't believe it unless I see it because we're so rational, we're so logical, and because we have the wisdom of the universe held in the palm of our hands. If you think that now is the less need for the display of the power of God and the gifts of the Spirit to flow through our lives, you're sadly mistaken. We need them more now than we've ever needed them before. And I honestly believe it's a hunger problem. And I believe the enemy has done a great job of convincing us that either they're not for today or that you don't have to worry about it. Don't even think about it. He gives them as he wills. So if he wants you to have it, you'll have it. And I think all of that is crippling the church. And I think it's time for us to actually get hungry and earnestly desire them. Like as much as you want your next breath, say, God, I just, I want gifts from you to be used so that I can love the world and put you on display and so the world can know you. And that's what I'm challenging us to. Next week, we're going to start talking about you know, gifts and offices. And if I prophesy, does that make me a prophet? And if I'm speaking God's Word, does it have to be added to the Bible? And all those questions that come with that stuff. We're going to talk about all that stuff. But, but, and, and we're also, though, we're going to actually put into practice the things that we're learning. And we're going to give Holy Spirit an opportunity to come and actually do what it said that He would do. 
And you're going to see in a room full of people how easy it is to actually just be simply used by Him. That it's not spooky. It's not weird. It's a little bit strange for our thinking to have the God of the universe tell you something for somebody or show you something or do something through you. But it starts to become pretty normal as you realize that He said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. And if He knows every one of His sheep, there's a good chance that maybe He's told one of His sheep something for another. And all you have to do is just be obedient to say what He's saying. That's as easy as prophecy is. It's not spooky. You don't have to adopt a weird tone of voice when you're speaking prophetically. That's what makes people wigged out. It is. Because we make it something it's not, and you try to dress it up. You don't need to dress up the God of the universe telling you something to tell somebody. That's as dressed up as it gets. But I want this, this week and, and for forever, for the rest of, of, of our time on this earth, but, but something to start this week where we actually, and if you're not hungry for them, that's okay. Just get alone with Him and ask Him for hunger. Because hunger is a gift from the Lord. Ask Him for God, make me hungry for those things. God, I don't even have an appetite for them right now, but I want one. I'm not even at the place where I'm earnestly desiring, but I want to earnestly desire. God, I want a hunger. God, give me a hunger for them things. Give me an earnest desire. Make me hungry. Make me desire. Cause a desiring in my life to well up. When I see a situation, God, cause the first thing that comes into me not to be, oh man, I just feel so bad. Cause it to be a hunger that bonds with that compassion that says, oh, I feel such compassion towards them. Father, would you give me what I need in this moment to be who you would want me to be? To be your hands, to be your feet, to be your mouth in this situation. God, I just thank You for that. I ask that You stir a hunger within us, God, that we would earnestly desire spiritual gifts, that we would earnestly desire to prophesy, God, that we would earnestly desire all the rest of the gifts, God, that we would earnestly desire that we would have these things, that, that You would give them to us as You will, God, but that You would give them in response to us being obedient to Your Word and earnestly desiring them. God, I pray for a hunger to stir up inside of us. God, if any of us aren't hungry for more of You right now, God, that You would give us that hunger. God, that we wouldn't lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves, God. That we wouldn't just be okay with the way things are, but that we would be okay knowing that there's more coming. That we would stay hungry for the more and not lose our peace in the waiting. And I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited to see what happens when we actually ask Him to make us hungry for these things. Because look, all He needed was a few people. And cities shook when they walked into town. Like literally, like when the prophet of God, when Samuel walked into the city, when he, rose, when he came to the city gates, it says the elders of the town assembled at the gate and trembled and asked Him, why have you come? Why? Because the anointing of God was on his life so strong that when Samuel rode up, when a prophet rode up, they knew that something was going on. Listen, I want that anointing on my life. Not where people tremble in fear of me, but where when I walk into the room, every demon in hell is so terrified that it begins to tremble. I'm serious. Because we need... Listen, I promise you, the devil... It, look, it's really simple. If the schemes of the enemies didn't stop when the Bible was written then the, the weapons against those schemes probably didn't stop when the Bible was written. So if you think that the enemy's done tormenting people, done tempting people, done possessing people, done influencing people, done lying to people and speaking things that are not true to them, then it's okay to believe that we have no answer for that necessary today. 
But if you believe all that stuff's going on, believe this, the, the, the power of God is more necessary now yeah. than ever. Because as evil grows, so does the necessity of the thing that combats the evil. And if the Bible says that things grow more wicked as the day grows long, then believe this, the power of God grows stronger in response because He's never outdone. He's never defeated. And He's never one to withdraw Himself and leave people on their own. Love you guys. 